podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, and as always, I'm welcomed by my co-host, Justin Lewis. How are you doing tonight, Justin? Doing good. The wife's out of town, so uh, we're not having to do this podcast at 11 o'clock at night. So that's always a win. It is. It is. It is always a win. And uh, we are very happy to welcome um, a, a very well-known person among Grizzlies fans. Uh, Grizzlies uh, radio play-by-play announcer Eric Hasseltine has joined me at just tonight. Mr. Hasseltine, how are you doing tonight? Well, Mr. Hasseltine was my dad, but I'm doing good, so <laughs> you guys feel free to call me Eric. I've known Justin for a while, so I'm doing well. It's been a it's it's been a busy day, but uh, one that's uh, filled with being a dad and and you know enjoying uh, a day away from basketball somewhat. So, but it's been good. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, of course, we know that you uh, had the radio show here for a while. Uh, obviously, a uh, uh, career path took you another way. I, I know that. Uh, uh, it seemed like more time with your family was a priority. How have things been for you uh, away from the radio show and uh, um, away from basketball before the season started here recently? Yeah, you know, the NBA is such a 12-month-a-year tw- deal now, really. I mean, I, I would almost say 11 months a year. August is actually probably the one month that's fairly quiet. But with the finals going into June and then the draft and then summer league and then free agency during summer league, it, it really does – you know, kind of consume a lot more time, but, um, it's been great. You know, I, I made a decision at the end of last season that, uh, I was, uh, I was ready to spend more time with both of my children. My daughter who's 15 lives in California. and We had a conversation, our last road trip to Sacramento where she lives. And, um, she just basically, in not so many words told me, I'd like to spend more time with you when, when I'm out of school this summer. And I, I said, that's, that's very easy to make happen. So um, I did that. And then my son, who's going to be eight in December, was in that phase of summer camps and figuring out what sports he enjoys playing. And we were going to try a bunch of different things. And when I broke down the schedule between shuttling into camp or practices or whatever it may be, um, I just didn't, I, that drove me more than trying to prepare for a two hour radio show. And so it was a great run for me personally in terms of being having the opportunity to do something that I broke into the business doing. Uh, the, the guys at 92.9 FM ESPN gave me that chance to, to rekindle that after I, that's what brought me to Memphis. I worked at WHBQ for three years and then kind of just did spots on talk shows like guys with Chris Vernon with uh, regular shows would have me on on a regular basis. And that was fun. But having my own show was was a lot of fun again. And then um, it got to the point where I, I just kind of realized I, I wanted to do something else and I wanted to do something different. I was fortunate enough to be a part of a, a group of friends that a couple of them had a successful business and asked me if I wanted to join. So I bought 25% of Black Tie Moving um, and uh, one of my partners, there's three of us that own the Memphis location. Two of us branched off and bought another location that's that's just about to be up and running in Little Rock. And so there was just a lot of things going on and it had been a year since my father had had passed away. And I I realized after that happened that I I wanted to, to spend probably, you know, the the more time with my kids than he got to spend with me. And, um, and then that's not a knock on him. He did everything he could, but uh, I, I didn't want them to miss out on memories because I was busy discussing what free agent moves or, college football teams or NFL teams were heading in the right direction two hours a day. And as much as I love sports, the funny thing is walking away from the show, 
kind of brought some of my sports fandom passion back. It wasn't as much a job anymore. And that's not to say I didn't love it, but I can now sit and watch, you know, Michigan state and Kentucky and not worry about what I'm going to talk about it uh, tomorrow. Uh, when I, when I watch a game now. So it's, it's been great. It's been great. Well, I'm glad that uh, that opportunity came along and best of luck with the new business venture. And also, obviously, I'm glad that uh, things have definitely allowed for you to spend more time with family. Um, but and again, we thank you for joining tonight's show, but let's get to a subject you know a little bit about. That's that's the Memphis Grizzlies. And you know, you've been calling games for years and you know, this definitely is a is a reboot, rebuild, whatever you want to call it for the franchise, but now with the talent that's here, John Morant, Darren Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark amongst others. Eric, you're there, your eyes see things behind the scenes that we don't see, and it seems like mm-hmm. that there's so much excitement off the court as there is on it. Can you talk a little bit about that off-the-court excitement and just the chemistry that's there between this team? And how important do you feel it is for that chemistry to, to remain as it is, even if we go through the struggles like we've seen through the first part of this year? Well, yeah, it, it's incredibly important. This is a league, and, and I've always believed this, and I've used this phrase and saying since I, I got to Memphis, um, continuity breeds success in the NBA, the, the, the more you, and you also have to have talent. Don't get me wrong. You can't have seven guys that would be at the end of the bench on any team um, playing together. Even if you play them together for five years, if they just don't have the talent, you got to have talented players. And the Grizzlies certainly do have three very, very talented young players in my opinion, and others that are talented as well. I think, you know, we start with the guys you talked about with John Morant and Brandon Clark and, uh, Jaron Jackson, you add in Dylan Brooks, who's just in his third NBA season. Jay Crowder's a veteran, but a lot of people believe that that's a that's an option coming towards the you know maybe towards the trade deadline that maybe gets shopped or not. I I love having Jay around. I wouldn't have a problem if Jay decided he wanted to stay and be a part of the rebuild for a couple more years. But I would also understand if he said, Hey, I've been in championship situations. I'd like to go back to that. That's that's understandable. That's what Andre Iguodala essentially is saying right now. Would Andre Iguodala help this team if he wanted to play with a young group? Sure. But he understands he only has a couple more years left in the in the gas tank. And at that point, you go, okay, well, um, then let's, let's move in a different direction. So um, I like what I've seen. And I think off the court, as you mentioned, Sean, it's, it's, it started in Las Vegas. Um, I was incredibly surprised. I did not go to Salt Lake City with the group. Uh, they went to Salt Lake City. Uh, they played the three games in that in the smaller summer league out there, which I think is a great chance to kind of get your feet wet. It's also, you know, the first opportunity for Taylor Jenkins to take the the helm and and coach. Even though it's not a you know a, not a full roster of NBA players, it's certainly some that are going to be there. They were successful there. They came to, to to Las Vegas, and I noticed right away the the first night I was there. I flew in on a Saturday. They had their first game in Las Vegas on a Saturday. I stayed with them all the way to the end of the summer league where they won the championship. Jaron Jackson Jr. and Dylan Brooks and John Morant were at every game. They were the first ones off their chairs to cheer on what the guys out there were doing. Um, you know, guys that are on the roster like John Conchar, who's on a two-way deal, Yuta Watanabe, and then Brandon Clark. Those guys were out there. Bruno Caboclo was out there and and those guys were very supportive, and they didn't have to be. I mean, you, there is nowhere said. I, I think Jod's a little more unwritten rule, but, uh, you know, we see a lot of those guys that, you know, 
don't necessarily show up after their first year. Jaron Jackson Jr. didn't have to be there, and certainly Dylan Brooks didn't have to be there at this stage in his career. But they went out there and they stuck around, and you'll see some players there for a few days. But the camaraderie and the the excitement and the energy, uh, not just at the games, but even at the practices, I was able to go watch. It was, I was blown away. And you're right, it, it's been an amazing ride for almost a decade for the Grizzlies up, you know, even up until the last two seasons last year, you went in, not really sure what they could be. They had the potential if they stayed healthy, you felt like to make a run at a postseason bid, but they needed some things to fall into place. Those things unfortunately did not fall into place. And at the trade deadline, after a really nice start where they were 12 and five in their first 17 games, they became sellers instead of buyers because they went through a tough stretch and they really, had issues in second halves of games. This year you went in knowing what it was going to be, but excited to see the process. And what you've seen in the first handful of games is what you see out of young teams. Really good starts, really high energy, really fast pace, and really inexperienced mistakes that happen in critical moments sometimes, and and you, you drop games because of it. It's you know, their first six games of the year, they've been outscored in the third quarter. And sometimes not it's not even close. And that was a problem last year, which it's much more explainable this year. You're not playing John Morant 35 minutes a night. You're not playing Jaron Jackson Jr. 35, 36 minutes a night. Jonas Valanciunas coming off of an injury. And the simple fact of the matter is when you play some high-level teams or, or playoff-caliber teams, Houston's, Brooklyn's, Miami's, as we're seeing, their stars are playing 35, 36, 37 minutes. And that's where they're pulling away late. And you're making mistakes and it's costly. And that's probably going to be a common trend for them this year, which is when people ask me like what I expected, I I said, the wins and losses are not what you need to be talking about. It's talking about building that camaraderie between Morant and Jackson and Clark now that we see what type of player he is, which I think is really uh, a, a, a definite role player, you know, very much a, a possible starter and, you know, could continue to develop into a really, really good player in this league. His athleticism's off the charts. His shot form is really good. Um, and that was the big knock. Could he shoot from the outside in the NBA? His wingspan wasn't super long. I don't care what your wingspan is when your head's at the top of the box and you're looking down on the rim because you just jumped faster than anybody else and higher than anybody else. You're going to grab some rebounds. You're going to block some shots. You're going to be okay in this league. So um, I love what I'm seeing. I think they play with a youthful exuberance. I think at times they, they don't understand that, that, uh, that sometimes you have to tone it down because that's the way young players go, but I don't have a problem with that. I never have a problem if, if John Morant pushes a two on one and, and throws a crazy pass and airmails it three rows in if he's playing aggressive and playing, um, uh, you know, a fast-paced style where the problems comes or where your mistakes come from being passes or not passive or not looking like you're caring. They care, and they really do, and they, uh, they're they going through losing in the early part of the season that a lot of them have not experienced. I mean, pick one guy on the roster and find me a guy that was on a really bad team or in college or a really bad high school team. It's impossible because those guys were all superstars and coaches could have them lead them. We're talking Gonzaga, Michigan state, John Morant took Murray state to the tournament. They knocked off Auburn who had that incredible run. So they were very good. They were a, a, a force in the OVC. And then you, you Tyus Jones at Duke, 
Marco Guterich was a champion overseas. Jonas Valanciunas played for those Raptors teams. He's experienced a little bit of losing, but not much. Jay Crowder hasn't experienced much losing. He's always been on winning teams, was part of the rebuild in Boston. So this is not familiar to a lot of these guys, especially the young guys. So they'll, uh, they'll, that they'll figure it out. And when they do, um, look out, man. It's, it's, I think that they are a piece or two away and a, a year or two of experience away from turning this script and looking a lot like Denver does now as one of the powers in the West. And it took them a couple of years with the young talent they have, but they've, they've certainly done a, a really nice job in the front office of restructuring this roster and this team to, to being back to um, uh, respectable sooner rather than later. And Eric, that's the one of the questions that I wanted to ask in terms of jaw and Jerry. And, you know, when it came to Mark and Mike for, you know, the decade we had, you know, on the streets around Memphis, you would see their jerseys on the back of kids and people and things like that. But we've seen other small markets who have had uh, stars who have transcended, you know, you know, Giannis and Russell and Katie, they mm-hmm. you know, kids in New York and Chicago. Those jerseys were on those kids. I don't think that John Jaron may have the ceilings of those players, you know, at least as of yet. But do you feel that John Jaron, you know, are the first true talents in Memphis who could transcend the city and who could be, you know, on the national stage, marketability-wise? You know, and they have those personas that really could put them on the national stage as forefront talents in this league. Do you see that difference with these two talents? And, and do you think as, you know, time goes on, they, they will, you know, reach that level, you know, in terms of, of recognition? You know, I think Mike was probably the closest to that level in that group. Zach was just – Zach was our guy. You know, Zach was Zebo and Tony Allen was our guy. And, and you know, our, I always said Tony Allen is probably clinically insane, but he's our kind of insane. And we love it. And you may not understand Tony Allen, but we really don't care because we love him and we always will. Um, ja has the game and the charisma and the athleticism and the ability to put the ball in the basket right now um, that could make him a, a bona fide superstar. And by bona fide superstar, I mean it's almost hands down, especially if the team finds that success level they think they can with you know a, a couple more nice moves and they have plenty of money to spend in the off season and more than likely if the lottery balls fall better than they did more more in tune with the the odds um they'll have a, another high draft pick maybe a, a James Wiseman who was pretty impressive in his debut for the Memphis Tigers uh and that would look real nice next to to Jaron Jackson up front but um you know i i i think you're you're talking about a kid that, that would be just a perennial all-star. I mean, he, he had a move in the game against Houston where he was dribbling with his left hand, hesitated as he brought the ball around his back with his left hand, right back to his left hand, and threw a bullet pass to Jay Crowder in the corner. And Crowder, unfortunately, missed the three. And the only reason Ja didn't have a dunk was because he confused Clint Capella of Houston to the point where Capella fell into the area where Ja was going to try to attack because he didn't know where the ball was. And I, I'm watching this on replay with Elliot Perry, and I, I, I just went, that, that's, that's next level. Like, that's superstar level. And he goes, that, that's not, that's God-given, like, superstar ability. And I think that's there. I think with Jaron, it's really going to depend on where his offense comes. He's going to be known for years as a, 
as an interior defensive monster. I, I akin it a little bit to Rudy Gobert in Utah, except for Rudy's a little bit taller, a little bit bigger wingspan. Jaron's a much more polished offense, a polished offensive player, but I think he's wanting to be that level of defender first and an offense second. He's just got to stop picking up silly fouls in the early part of his career, but that's also part of the learning curve. You know, I akin this a lot to, and I used to have the gentleman on my show talking baseball, Leo Mazzoni is the pitching coach of the Atlanta Braves. When, you know, in 1990, they had a young staff, some kid that named Tom, Gla- Tom Glavin, some kid named John Smoltz, and a kid named Steve Avery. And they brought them all up to the major leagues in, in the summer of 1990, and they said, we know you're going to get hammered. We know you're going to give up hits at the wrong time or make a pitch that you wish you could take back. That's what we're using this year for for you to learn how to pitch at this level. And we think it'll be incredibly valuable for you next year when you get in those same situations and know what not to do. And that's what I think is going to happen here. And so people that are all upset about the Andre Iguodala thing, if you're upset at Andre Iguodala for doing it, think of it this way. He's doing the Grizzlies a favor by not taking minutes away from young guys that might be able to help the team for many more years to come, which will not be the case for Andre Godala. If you're thinking about it and angry at the Grizzlies for not freeing Andre, freeing Iggy, as people say all over the social media apparently these days, think about it this way. When was the last time you had an asset? I don't care if you're talking in the lunch yard when you were a kid and you had a you had a suite and, and somebody else had something you liked better, but um, you, you had an asset. You had something to trade and you wanted something in return. You weren't just going to give up uh, a cupcake because you wanted a Twinkie instead as the best way I could put it to people. Or you weren't just going to give up a slice of pizza because you wanted a hot dog and, you know, everybody wanted your pizza. You, you're going to wait for the best offer. And that's the way this is going. And that's that's part of the business. So I, I just, I think there's transcendence, uh, star power in both of them, but a little bit more in John Morant because of the position he plays, because of the way the game's going. And I'm telling you guys right now, I'm sure I know you both watched him. I've said it on our broadcast and, and everybody's, you, you can't take your eyes off him. When he is on the floor, you cannot take your eyes off him. He can get end to end of the floor in less than four seconds and finish with a highlight reel dunk. The only other guy I know, or only two guys I think are capable of that type of speed and leaping ability finishing above the rim are Russell Westbrook and De'Aaron Fox. And I think De'Aaron Fox is going to be a really good player. Obviously, Russell Westbrook is special. But you think about that combination, and you start putting those guys, you you start putting John in that conversation. And I think he's a better scorer than De'Aaron Fox right now. I think De'Aaron Fox is a terrific player, don't get me wrong. But I think John Morant can be a better scorer. I was impressed with his ability to already realize I, I don't want to go to the rim every single play. I can stop and float one in from six just as easily as lay it off the window. And I save myself the potential of getting absolutely destroyed, which in the game against Houston, unfortunately, it looked like he took a pretty good shot. In fact, their their television uh, play-by-play man, Craig Ackerman, said, I, I thought he might be hurt. And he popped right up. He's a tough kid, but you know that, that floor is not forgiving when you hit it coming down on a 10-foot fall. And that's where he's got to really realize going for a highlight reel dunk against some veterans may not be the smartest thing, but that'll come with time. Well, and I'll, in, in my part with this, um, that part of the show where you 
interviewed Leo Mazzoni. Uh, that was my favorite part of the show. Me and Justin are diehard yeah. Braves fans. And my yeah. dad told me I had the tendency to rock. He told would always tell me, Sean, when you make millions, you can rock like Mazzoni until then stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, he but, was, uh, uh, you know, I was lucky. I was really lucky with him. And, and I, I give Leo all the credit in the world. I, I really hope one day that the Atlanta Braves honor him by putting his number in their ring of honor because his understanding of managing a staff like that and what they accomplished. And a lot of people will say they didn't achieve enough with the number of playoff appearances and only one world series, but having him on and, you know, this is a man that, that is famous baseball wise and, and legendary in Atlanta and just having him on, like he's my uncle Leo and he's saying, Hey, when are you going to come to South Carolina and hang out with me and the wife at the beach at the lake house? And we'll, drive into Atlanta and have a few beers and watch some baseball. And I'm like, this, this isn't reality. Like people aren't like this. So um, I still need to take him up on that offer, but he was, he was 100%, you know, my regular favorite regular guest. And I, I loved all the guys that came on, but Leo was special for sure. Well, I hope Lizardo and Manaya here soon give you all the same success that Avery, uh, for your A's yeah. give a, the same success Glavin and Avery gave us. But I know Justin has some questions for you. Pleasure talking sure. to you. You too, Sean. Eric, so um, you brought up the analogy with the young pitching staff and saying we're going to throw them out there and, and we know you're going to get hit hard um, and we're not going to, you know, we're going to let you go through that. So here's my question for you. Um, I, you've probably seen this all over social media and you've probably talked about it some. Sadly, I don't get to listen to you as much anymore now that I'm living in Florida. Um, but there's nothing Brandon sad about Clark, living in Florida. Don't get don't don't get that wrong for a bit. That, that's a great place to live, believe me, my friend. But I do miss hearing your voice on the on the call. So that is that is <laughs> a sad it. part. Um, so the eye test says to me that Brandon Clark has been maybe the most consistent player that we've had so far this year. So I go pull up the stats. And he is the highest offensive rating on the team and the highest defensive rating on the team. He's first in blocks, second in rebounds, uh, and he only fouls less than two times a game, but he's averaging 22 minutes. If we're going to take the leash off these guys, and and it's an advantage that Iggy's not playing so that these guys can play, what's up with the rotations of Morant being less than 28 minutes when he's your best player and it's not even close? So what's up with all that? What is, what's your take on that? So you're letting I, – I understand. I get that question a lot. So you are letting them, yes, take the reins. And you are letting them, yes, um, be in a position that young guys generally aren't in in terms of um, having a lot of responsibility. But you're also – we live in an age in a, of scientific research that tells us you play these kids 36 minutes a night when they're in their early 20s, their career can be shortened by a year, two years, possibly three years. And let's talk about what that means to them financially and what it could mean to your organization. You take, I don't want to tell a kid, hey, I'm going to burn you out now. And five years from now, your career, instead of being 12 years, or, you know, instead of being 13, 14 years, is 10 or 11. And those last three years, if we would have just eased up a little bit, knowing what the situation was and, you know, having you in, in critical moments, but there'll be nights where they play more, but there was a couple of nights where they surrendered huge 
swings. Um, the most notable is, is the game against Phoenix where they turned it over 11 times in the third quarter. Um, I think the, the, the fact is that, that the research uh, of these analytics guys tells us you can't play guys those types of minutes with as fast and as physical as the game can be, even though it doesn't seem as physical to, to the older generation. When you're, when you're going at that breakneck speed, it's different. That's why teams now, instead of everybody used to just fly home after a game, no matter where you were, you, I, I can't tell you how many times I touched down in Memphis after 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, now that doesn't happen. Now you spend the night in those situations. You get up the next day and you you save your body that wear and tear. I agree with you. I'd like to see more of Brandon Clark, but I think they're also in a position where they're trying to get guys, figure out who's going to be part of this thing moving forward and, and who they maybe need to start, you know, looking to move into a different direction, giving minutes to, to Kyle, more minutes to Kyle Anderson, to Jay Crowder, finding out what Solomon Hill's doing, even though he's on the last year of a deal, getting Jonas Valanciunas back and, and Jaron Jackson. And so, um, you know, that's the crazy thing about this game. There's only 240 minutes out there. Five guys, 48 minutes a guy, a position, I should say. Five positions in a 48 minutes a spot. So when you have 10 guys capable of playing, what that tells you is the average amount of time is 24 minutes. And Brandon had, has played really, really well. He struggled a little bit in his one start against the Rockets, but I, that's just akin, I think, to how the Rockets play. Um, I, I've been un- unbelievably pleased with not only his attitude, but his work ethic and the fact that he's the first guy in the history of the Summer League to win MVP and then win tournament MVP or like the, the finals MVP. And when we talked to him about it, he said, quite simply put, it's great, and I'm very happy to, that it happened, and I'm, I'm, I'm super happy we won. But let's be real honest about it. I'm not playing Kevin Kevin Garnett out there. Like, there are guys out there right now that, that are going to have to fight for a chance to get into a training camp. So I know it's going to ramp up when I get into camp, and it's all viable NBA roster guys. And he, and he didn't mean it disrespectfully to the guys that were out there, but he understood. He understood what the situation was. He said, but if you're going to play, you, why not go out and, and play, leave everything out there and dominate and, 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 and not have any questions? And I was like, great answer, man. Like, you couldn't, make, you couldn't give a better answer than that. So I, I agree with you, Justin. I, I think that there's some people that want to see them play more, but I think that that's just kind of the way it is. It was even with LeBron and KD, you go look at their numbers, and maybe they average a few more minutes, but – they weren't scoring 28, 29 a night as rookies. They, they developed into stars. Look at what, what it took Giannis to develop. It, I'll, I'll never forget. The first time we saw Giannis on the Kumbo, he, he barely looked like he could walk and chew gum at the same time because his body was still growing. <laughs> and Dave Yeager in a game in Milwaukee said, just you know, let him play. like Go under screens. Back away from him. And he took about three straight possessions of drives where you backed away from him, which – giving him that space enabled him to use the length and he dunked the ball and, 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 you know, coaches make mistakes. And that's what I loved about Dave and, and my friendship. When we, when he was here, we could, we could talk honestly. And I said, you still think backing off him a little bit's a good defensive strategy or do we want to rethink that one? And he just looked at me like, 
oh man, I hate it when you do this to me. And so we, and it was over a, <laughs> a beverage or two in a city. I can't remember where we went to next, but we, we chuckled about it for years because anytime he would give me grief about something I did, Tilly, and I said, this coming from the genius that said, give Giannis Antetokounmpo space to operate. So why am I taking your, your listening for anything? Which if we go back, Dave Yeager was right so many more times than, than most average people are in this, in this business. So I don't want to sound disrespectful to that, but that's, that's the thing about it. Guys take time to develop at this level and be part of, um, what this league is, which is the single most gifted group of athletes and basketball players assembled in any professional sports league. I think these are the the single greatest group of, of athletic, athletes and athletic ability. I mean, football athletes are amazing. They're strong, they're big, they're fast. But you look at the average basketball player, and it's amazing. These are six-foot-seven-inch 225-pound human beings that move at the speed of an NFL wide receiver, jump like an Olympian, and you know, not a gold medalist, but a, a someone who could be in the Olympics and can do it all while either backpedaling or moving forward with a little orange ball bouncing on a hardwood floor trying to put it in a cylinder. It, it's amazing. I, I marvel at what hockey players can do. I marvel at anybody that's a professional athlete, tennis players, golfers, you name it volleyball players they're the best of the best but when you talk about sheer athletic ability and strength and raw physical gifts the nba second to none and when you walk into that coming out of gonzaga coming out of murray state even michigan state for jaron jackson oregon ucla you know duke the, the, the guys where they played coming before here that's not even close it's not even close you go watch one of their practices and you'll see the guys that stand out. You go watch one of their games and you see the guys that stand out. And, you know, there are guys that are just phenomenal college players that have a very, very slight, if any, chance of playing in the NBA. One of them's on the Grizzly staff. Scooney Penn was an amazing collegiate point guard at Ohio State. Never heard from him in the NBA. Played professionally overseas, made some money, now coaching. That's that's how good it is. They the best of the best. So when those minutes aren't there, it's because you've got to learn when to do certain things, when to when to ramp it up, when not to. And and leaving you out there the longer to be more fatigued and and just you know subject yourself to more situations that you know you're not at your your the top of your game at that moment. I, I think that's part of it. And a lot of people are being critical for Taylor Jenkins about it, but. This is part of their master plan to to not burn these guys out right now. Now you're not. I don't know how many times you'll see them give them a night off for rest. I don't know that that's going to be the case. But look at what happened in New York the other night when David Fisdale in a blowout loss to the Kings left R.J. Barrett out there. There were analytics people and physical science people all over going, "What are, what are you doing? You were down 25 or 30. That guy goes up in transition and lands wrong." i.e. Clay Thompson in the NBA Finals, and you've affected his career. For what? For what? And he's trying to say, I, you know, I don't want to hear about this load management. Latrell Sprewell played 42 minutes a night when he was a Nick. Latrell Sprewell was also six years into his career and 29 years old and at the peak of his physical ability. So there's a big difference and to that and the 20-year-old that, yes, could probably play basketball for five hours a day. 
but playing NBA basketball is very, very different than what people think is playing basketball. Yeah. So one of your um, segments that you used to do in your show was uh, get off my lawn. So my <laughs> I've had a couple of you, those moments. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do one. And here's my question to do it. What is the biggest overreaction that you've heard six games into the season? Oh man. Uh, I, I think it's probably what we just talked about. I, I, the first, so we, we've, we've had a situation where our longtime pregame and postgame and uh, drive, you know, postgame call-in show host Gary Darby left after eight years to, to spend more time, ironically, to spend more time with his family, much like I did. Um, and, and he was living in Oxford, so it was a little bit of a commute. And we had, uh, essentially, it, what it sounded like to me was a father had his three sons who were all very articulate and well-spoken on the phone for being, you know, under the age of, I'm guessing, under the age of 15. And I was impressed with their their composure being on the radio because a lot of times kids will freak out. But all of their coaches, or all of their questions were directed at uh, Taylor Jenkins' play calling and the rotations and things like that. I, I, I said, correct me if I'm wrong, fellas, but the Grizzlies won the game tonight, right? That was the, the game Jay Crowder hit a straightaway three. And, and I said, we're, we're done with this. And so I think that's part of it. Um, people are very concerned about Jaron Jackson and the foul issues. And if you look at the number of minutes and number of fouls he's averaging, I can see why, but I think that's that. And, you know, that's about it. There hasn't been a lot of, Justin, a lot of overreaction because I think people understood what it was going to be this year. And, you know, that each year people ask me, well, what do you think? And obviously the years of the core four, I said, I think they're really good. I think once again, people forget about them and they're going to rise up and they're going to be pushing 50 wins and you get in a seven game series with them. You may beat them, but you're going to know you were in a dog fight. You were in a street fight. You're going to feel that moving forward. Now, where we were the first year with David Fisdale was pretty simple was you've got a team that's really good. And for whatever reason, they've again, decided to go in a different direction coaching. You made the playoffs that year. You came back the next year and the roster looked a little different. You said, okay, you've got to connect to these players now. And it didn't happen. And so very early in the second season, David Fisdale was relieved of his duties. JB Pickerstaff took over. There were injuries everywhere. It was just absurd. And then last year, you're like, okay, you're healthy. You know, when you lose Mike Conley in that year, uh, you know, David Fisdale's first year, the first year in eight years you hadn't made the playoffs, that's an easy explanation. You didn't have Mike Conley. I mean, the, Mike Conley goes out, that's a hard thing, that's a hard pill to swallow, and then everybody else gets hurt as well. Um, and then you went in last year expecting them to be better and have a healthy Mike, a healthy Mark, and come out, you know, like gangbusters for a guy that, that they – liked and jb bickerstaff well started out great didn't work but i think everybody knew this year going in what the situation was and with the success of the roster turnover in the off season most notably in fans eyes the ability to deal chandler parsons for at least a, a possibility of guys that can give you minutes like solomon hill and they, they brought in miles Plumley but released him um people were like okay we're fine because in a year you'll have next summer you'll have $55 million to spend in the in the free agent market. And what you hope is you do like Denver did that year everybody got an extra 40 million into their cap with the new TV rights deal. Denver sat back, they went after players, they didn't get them and 
didn't make the mistake of saying, okay, well, we've got to do something. So like the Lakers signing Luol Deng and Timofey Mozgov, both to four-year, $72 million deals. That handcuffed them for years. Bismack Biombo getting a huge contract. Chandler Parsons getting a huge contract. Evan Turner getting a huge contract. Not that they're not solid players, but they're not $20 million a year guys. And when you have a $20 million a year guy who's not worthy of that, it can damage your roster. So I, I think the overreactions have been fewer and further between. I think, obviously, there's some people that uh, <laughs> that 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 expect you know you to go 82 and 0 every year, but for the most part, that's that. Now the overreaction to me um, is is more league wide at some of the spots. Like uh, I don't know, the the first one I heard was that you know Eric Spolstra in Miami, if he doesn't connect with Jimmy Butler, would be gone. And I'm like, Eric Spolstra, yes, had LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade, and they won championships that way. But he's done some really, really nice things with that roster since then, and they're a good basketball team. Yeah, he's a great coach. He's a really solid, you know, coach and and developer of talent. Justice Winslow is a hundred times better a player, in my opinion, than he was when he got in the league. When he got in the league, a freshman out of Duke, he couldn't throw it in the ocean from a cruise liner. I mean, literally could not hit a jump shot. But the guy now, you leave him alone, he'll he'll hurt you. And you do you couple that with the size of his frame and his athleticism and the fact that now he's twenty four years old twenty four years old, has years of experience under his belt, he, he can he can be a problem. Um I've heard Mike D'Antoni could get fired if it doesn't work out right away with this Rockets team. And I'm like, they've been really good for real a lot of years. So um it's a little early for the overreactions. Uh it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Golden State. I think everybody understands there that with the Clay Thompson situation, Kevin Durant's departure, and I was at game six when Clay Thompson dunked, and I just happened to be in a section where a very good friend of mine who I brought to the game with me and I played a lot of basketball with over the years, we looked at each other and said, that that's an ACL. And he said, did you see the same thing I did? I said, yeah, when he landed, his knee turned in the direction that makes me think it's an ACL. And it was. And I said, he's done for the year. And I actually said, that's, you know, you never want anybody to get hurt. I said, but if you lose a guy for next year and you may lose Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson doesn't play next year, they're going to have a lottery pick. And they're going to have a lottery pick that they'll be able to keep on their roster for three, four years at very little money. And if it's a good enough lottery pick, that just saved them from wondering who that fourth option is going to be because they've got Draymond, Clay, and Steph locked up. So um, there'll be some overreactions there. I think the the biggest one I heard was after the first game. This is the one that got me probably the most. Now that you mentioned it, was when the Clippers, <laughs> like the Clippers beat the Lakers, and everybody went, "See, this LeBron AD thing is just not going to work." I mean, they can't even beat the Clippers. Thank. Dude, the Clippers do have uh, some really good players and a really deep roster, not to mention a guy who won a title last year and another guy who many people consider the second best uh, two-way player in the NBA or third best, if you want to throw Giannis in there, in Paul George. So let's not make it sound like this is the Clippers of Benoit Benjamin and Pooh Richardson and guys that you've never heard of. 
that Donald Sterling trotted out there just to save himself money because he had a sweetheart of a lease. So um, that was probably it. But I, you know, that's, that's part of the fun thing about being a fan, Justin, you guys know, doing your podcast and you and I have known each other for a long time and, and your fandom is what led you to want to be a part of this. The NBA's fun, man. I I'm fortunate enough in my house to have a TV system where I can watch four games at once. And on the nights where we don't have games and my son goes to bed and, I can sit back and watch four NBA games. It's fun to watch. These guys are amazing at what they do, and people get into it. And that's why it's been a tw- you know now a twelve month a year deal. People care and they they enjoy it. But now with the you know with the way social media has come on and the way these guys are accessible like never before, people people formulate some interesting opinions in a hurry for sure. Yeah, and um, you mentioned that the overreactions for the Grizzlies probably are lower because everybody had the, the understanding or the expectation that this, this wasn't going to be anything this year. Um, it's surprising to me that already into the season, the Grizzlies are 10th in attendance. Um, so that tells me that the people are there to just really, truly enjoy watching these guys grow up. Um, and yeah. the, the fast paced play we're, we're fifth in pace right now. Um, it's a different kind of basketball. They're excited about the future because there's hope for the future. Um, so that's that's really uh, cool for me. My last question for you is we're 10 days away from the return of Mike Conley to the FedEx Forum. What is mm-hmm. something that you want to see happen on that night? Well, I have no doubt that they will have an amazing tribute video. Um, that's a, I'd like to see a Grizzly win. Um, I'd like to see yeah. a, a situation come down to the wire with Ja and, and Mike going toe to toe. Um, I think it'll make Ja better, and I think it'll be fun for Mike. Um, I'd like to see Jaron Jackson learn some things with footwork and, and positioning from Rudy Gobert, uh, who's a tremendous defender. But in terms of that, I cause I know what I'd like to see, cause, but I know it'll happen. There's not a person that's going to be sitting down when Mike Conley's name is introduced. There's going to be a lot of tears in people's eyes when they play a tribute video, which I'm sure they will. I have no internal knowledge of that because I haven't asked yet. Um, and I, I, I want to see Mike's reaction. And I would imagine uh, he'll hold it together because that's that's who Mike is. But I'd imagine inside it's he's going to well up with some, with some real pride and, and, and real emotion of, this was where I grew up and became a man. It's where I entered the league as a 19-year-old who probably weighed about 170 pounds, dripping wet out of the shower, and turned into a six-foot-one-inch, 190-pound, solid-muscle point guard that, if he played in the Eastern Conference, is probably a three- or four-time All-Star. But he played in the conference with Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, James Harden, uh, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson. Start naming them all off. Russell Westbrook uh, and Tony Parker for a long time there in, in, in San Antonio, obviously, and guys that you just go, where's the spot? Like, where do you, where do you go get it? Steve Nash was part of it for many years. Um, it, these are, these are guys that are just sensational, sensational basketball players. And there's only four, four or five spots, five spots at the guard position, usually four, four to five, pick the best four to five out of that group. Good luck. And Mike Conley was awesome, and it's unfortunate, but that's that's the nature of it. And never once did I hear him complain about it. One year I know he was bummed and disappointed, and I know he was 
right there on the cusp of getting there. He just missed. And I understood. And the, the player who had to be injury replaced that year, if I'm not mistaken, was a big. So they replaced it with a big. And we were all kind of hoping, let's just go small and give Mike that opportunity. I also know for Mike, he, he would have preferred it to get his first, which maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Uh, I'd I prefer him to get his first on his own, not as an injury replacement. But, yeah, I'm I'm going to be emotional that night because, one, I'm generally overly emotional anyway. Two, um, I, I consider the guy a friend. I mean, we talked about everything uh, from basketball to parenthood to uh, to bowling to playing golf to understanding things, and, and he didn't have to be that way with me. He was always my go-to interview. If I ever needed anything, I knew I could get him. If I ever had a fan or a friend there that really liked Mike Conley, if I said, hey, would you mind going over and saying hello to this person? Um, he never said no. He never turned away um, a request for an autograph when it was, you know, and obviously you can't sign everything that's shoved in your face as a pro, but when we'd show up at team hotels, and there were a lot of Mike Conley jerseys. We were talking about being transcendent in you know, in, in terms of a star, there are a lot of Mike Conley jerseys on the road. There'll be more John Morant jerseys, in my opinion, because he'll have four or five highlight reel dunks that'll have people buzzing all season long and waiting for that spectacular, spectacular play. And that, that necessarily wasn't Mike, but it's going to be a special night. And it, it's a wild, it's a wild ride, Justin. And, and it's the one thing I was told when I got in the business, everything you go through, if it's the greatest time or the, the worst time, everything will 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 turn at some point to the other direction. So think of those years when, you know, you were growing up in the Memphis area and you they stunk. I mean, they just weren't good. They, they did. were rebuilding the roster as, you know, Shane and Powell were gone and the three years in the playoffs and, and they didn't have a lot going. And they they just weren't very good. And I love the guys. They were all really, really nice, but that's how you ended up with Mike Conley because you had the worst record in the league the year before, and he ended up with the fourth pick. And even then people were going, we just had the worst record in the league. There's two superstars in this draft and Durant and, and Greg Odom. And then there's a third guy in Al Horford. And after that, we got to figure out who we're going to get. Oh, by the way, you just got the fourth pick, which was the least likely thing you could have done. You had a 50% chance at the one or two and a 73% chance at a top three pick. Well, that 27% long shot came in like a champ. Um, and that was the way it felt for a long time. And then all of a sudden, Michael Heisley's promise was delivered upon, and the guy that helped deliver it was Mike. So um, knowing what it was like and knowing what he brought it to, um, there's a lot of pride involved in that. And it's it's been a lot of fun to, to be a part of that. It's going to be very awkward to see him in the building in another jersey. But that unfortunately, that's the nature of this. It was awkward to see Zach Randolph in there in a Kings jersey when he left. It was awkward to see Tony Allen in a Pelicans jersey after he left. We haven't seen Mark in a Raptors jersey. We will in March. If he's still there, we may not. They may trade him, and if they trade him somewhere in the East, although they've gotten off to a good start, maybe Mark doesn't play best for him this year either. You know, what if they send him to Brooklyn? They've already been to Memphis, you know, and that would be, all right, so Mark got traded, and he doesn't even come back to play in Memphis at all, and that would be interesting, but we'll see. Um, I, I know that's going to be a big night. I know that's going to be a, a night where it's going to be hard on Mike. And I, I think people may have to also 
give him some space and understand that he's got a game to go play and they're going to be in a playoff fight. So it'll be funny to see how that's handled by not only Utah PR people, but by Mike, his people, his family, and, and, the, and the people that are closest to him in terms of trying to express his gratitude, but also having people understand that, that there's work to be done that night. Yeah. Well, Eric, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I asked you today um, and you were gracious enough to join us. I just want to say thank you for all the support that you have, you've shown me. Uh, you've been a, a good friend when you didn't have to be. Um, you you know me because of uh, my parents. And um, Yeah, if you, I wasn't a good you, friend uh, of you, your mom would kick my tail up and down the, up and down the <laughs> basketball court. You and I both know that. Hey, she, she, I, tur- I, she turned 50 today, by the way. Uh, well, tell her I said I'll have to tell her happy birthday somehow. Or you tell her, tell her I said happy birthday. I'm, I'm happy that they're they're doing well. They're great people, and and I know they're real proud of you. And um, it, you know, Justin, that was that was easy. You 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 approached everything um, with the with a great attitude, and and I, I'm I'm happy for your success. And I know a lot of my answers on your uh, podcast and I are a little long winded, but that's the fun of podcast. No one, there's no program director or, or you know producer or somebody coming in and saying hey we got to take a break let's just have some fun and talk some hoops man i'm i'm happy to do it anytime well i appreciate it hope that we can have you on later in the season anytime my friend anytime give me a call y'all take care all right you too and thank you again folks for joining us again for justin lewis and eric house time my name is sean coleman we'll see you next time here on the free podcast